find is Steve Milton from Greasy Lake. When I'm not tweeting about Bruce Springsteen, I'm listening to Set Lusting Bruce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today for his return visit, and I hope um, the second of many, is my good friend and great storyteller, Dan French. How you doing, Dan? I'm fine, Jesse, thanks, and it's great to talk to you, too. Yeah, um, for those of you who may have missed the episode, uh, a few weeks ago, Dan joined me, and uh, we sent out, and he told the story of traveling across uh, Europe to go to his first Bruce Steenstein concert, and some kind of cool stuff happened, so I'm not going to spoil it. I do recommend you very much go listen to it. It is absolutely wonderful. Uh, storytelling, and as Dan said before we hit record, you know, Jesse, that's my best story. Uh, don't <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I that is a tough story to to top. <laughs> but um, as we're recording this, it is October seventh, um, Saturday morning for me. I guess Saturday afternoon for you. Yes, that's right. And uh, this week we lost Tom Petty. And um, I'm sure there will be many people doing much better tributes than um, anything I could do on this show. In fact, I know the guys on um, Rock in the Suburbs are going to do a whole week of Tom Petty talk. Um, my other podcast, How Many, we recorded this week a discussion of his hits and uh, great stories, but... Uh, Dan and I decided we just wanted to talk a few minutes about his passing. Um, when you heard the news, what was your thoughts, Dan? Well, it was a, a big shock, obviously, because it seemed so sudden. I hadn't really, obviously, been following any whether there was any stories about um, Tom's health in, in recent times, but uh, uh, it really just seemed to come out of the blue. Very, very sudden and shocking. And... Um, uh, uh, I was, yeah, as a fan, I'm obviously very sad because uh, I can pretty much measure my um, uh, interest in Tom going back pr just about be beyond the, about the time I discovered Bruce. So we're talking, you know, the mid '70s, and I was really lucky because I got to see him on, I think, what was his probably his first ever visit to the UK, first tour. Uh, in 1977, when he was supporting, of all people, Nils Lofgren, who was the, the headline of, of, of the tour. Oh, nice. And, yeah, I mean, a, a, a really great, almost a double bill, effectively, but uh, the way it turned out. And um, this was a, a college gig, so he was just playing little places, obviously, at the time. And um, we'd heard nothing really much about this uh, these these guys except for i think one of my college friends it may well have been the same guy that first played bruce to me most likely a guy called neil and he probably played me one or two tracks so i had a, a little idea what to expect from the the records but when this band came on it was probably one of the best support bands i'd ever seen i was just blown away um at the you know the musicianship from, you know not just tom but the, the whole band and considering that this is several years before I saw the E Street Band, it very much set the tone for me for like what a great live band could be. And um, it must have been 
you know, quite hard work for for Nils to follow that. In fairness, yeah. I think he made some some comments since about, uh, um, you know, that he had to work extra hard when he realised uh, how, how good his support band were. So that was my first experience. Yeah. You know, I somehow never saw him live, um, and now then it is definitely a big regret of mine. Um, I did love, I loved his music. Um, there were. Um, as we discussed, you know, the amount of hits he had, you know, he had a string of songs that were memorable and just not only successful commercially, but musically. Um, I was, uh, Don't Back Down is, um, I Won't Back Down is one of my favorite songs and it, along with the Johnny Cash cover, made my, you know, F cancer playlist that I listened to while I was getting chemo. Uh, I just love that song. And when you go through and you just start talking about all the songs he did, how significant and how good it is, um, he did a wonderful She's the One soundtrack um, for, um, and I'm drawing a blank on the filmmaker now, uh, but... um, the guy who did the Brothers McMillan, I'll pull it up in IDMDB, but Tom Petty did a soundtrack for that uh, movie, um, and I loved that soundtrack. Um, so definitely a loss. I, I'm very um, – Edward Burns, the filmmaker. I, oh, yeah. I, I am sad this happened, and I know um, this is – you know, uh, I I saw Bruce did a wonderful you know write up on the website, and he also talked about he dedicated the first show on Broadway to him. Um, I thought it was interesting and quite significant that he did not do a Tom Petty song, um, which I think reinforces the message that the Broadway show is not a concert; it is a show. Right. With a script and a, um, you know, a rhythm, and, and it is a unique thing himself. This is not, you know, The Ghost of Tom Joad or uh, Devils in Dusk Part 3. This is truly something unique to itself. I think that's right. Yeah, we're not going to see any major variation, as you say, from the script, and um, maybe just sort of one or two minor changes, I guess, possibly. But yeah, but yeah, it, it's going to be um, uh, an, an entity of itself. Yeah, and I, I think that's I am okay with that. I know that I'm surprised. I don't know why I am, but there is a fair amount of people on the internet like, oh, I'm trying to not see the set list, and um, I'm like. Okay, but this is, you know, when it's a show, when it's a concert, we all stare at the set list. Um, You know, I often, if I'm going to see a local production or a touring production of a Broadway show, I will buy the soundtrack first so that I can get used to knowing the songs. So, um, and I don't think that affects me in one way or another of you know, enjoying the show. In fact, it helps me because I know it a little better. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I'm, 
I'm uh, looking forward to, I've seen a couple of reviews of the show, and I'm hoping that we get an HBO special or a pay-per-view or a DVD Blu-ray release, because this seems to be something pretty special. Uh, Absolutely, and uh, I would also hope that at the very least we get one or two um, of the official live downloads that they've been putting out, so... uh, that's um, that might be the first thing that we get, but yeah, certainly, yeah. as you say, some sort of special would be great. I um, speaking of downloads, I just purchased the New York City 2000 show and downloaded it. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing that. Um, I have quoted the um, extra verse of Blood Brothers often on this podcast because I feel like its its verse talks a lot about this community of Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band fans we have. I think it not only talks about the band, but I think when you could put it, it talks about our feelings as well. Yes, that's that's so true. It's um, it was an extraordinary addition when you think that you know, at the time he just sort of suddenly introduced this verse that um, it may be even that perhaps even even the band weren't aware he was going to do that. You know, he, as I remember, he just sort of basically called everyone to sort of stand together and join hands and uh, added those extra words. And yeah, that's really been the, um, the sort of uh, the core of the song, the, the key to the song. And as you say, something that we can all quote to each other, um, you know, uh, forever, because it, it, it says so much and means so much. Yes, absolutely. Um, one last Tom Pezzi story, and then we'll move over to a little discussion. Um, I have been told that uh, when they were doing the No Nukes tour, someone told Tom, okay, now you're playing before Springsteen. You're going to hear a lot of Bruce, but they're not booing you. (laughs) They are saying Bruce. And Tom Petty supposedly said, is there a difference? (laughs) And I love that idea that he, he says, you know, it doesn't matter if they're saying Bruce, Booing or Bruce, the bottom line is they want me off the stage and uh, so they can hear Springsteen. Um, so I loved that story. I think it says, um, and I hope it's true, uh, but even if it's not true, I'm going to say it is, because it just says so much about his personality and his sense of self, that he was confident enough in his ability, but also knew that um and a pecking order is the wrong order, but knowing that there are passionate fans of everyone. Um, one of the sports talk shows host that I listen to has a Tom Petty tribute band called Petty Theft. And, <laughs> um, and they play fairly often. And he talked about on the air that they were supposed to play last night. Um, and he said, we don't know yet what we're going to do. We don't know. He said, our instinct is just to go out and do a normal show because that's what Tom would expect us to do. It seemed like, you know, he was very much a let's go out, let's perform, let's have a good time. He said, but we may end up doing something a little special. So um, I'm going to check that out um, online when we finish talking. Sure, cool. Any final thoughts about Mr. Petty, except rest in peace? I was just about to add, yeah, may he rest in peace. And um, for myself, you know, thanks for about 40 years of music. And uh, um, it's been, yeah, it's been really special to have him in our lives. Absolutely. So 
Dan, one of the things we talked about online, you and I, we exchanged emails, is um, you've been very kind during my health journey. Um, as we record this, I got the news on Wednesday that, you know, all my tests are, look great. I have no sign of any um, cancer tumors. I have no blood clots. Um, I am, I guess, what they call officially in remission. I don't need to go see my doctor till February. So great news, and you were very kind to share that and congratulate me and, and send me, during the time, you and many others sent me wonderful uh, notes of encouragement, and I felt the love, good thoughts, and prayers of everyone. And I wanted to talk a little bit about I'll get some specific stories from you well, but let's start out with, do you think this fandom of Bruce Springsteen is unique or different than other bands' fandom? And, you know, do we think it's unique because we're in part of this? Or do you actually believe there is something a little bit different about Bruce fans? That's a very, very good question, and uh, something I've talked about with uh, fellow fans uh, over the years. And I guess un unless we're involved in kind of like multiple communities, I mean, you know, you're, for example, you're a big fan of Doctor Who and and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, you might say that, you know, in your case, you find a similar um, experience and a, a, a sort of comparable um, sort of, you know, richness of community. Um, for me, it's hard to say because you know uh, the, the the Bruce world is probably the the biggest thing in my life in terms of my my social community, my musical community, and so I personally have very little to compare it to. But I remember, you know, we've we've met people over the years. Um, I seem to remember there was uh, there was an occasion I was with some fellow Bruce fans, and we bumped into some some. Uh, folks who were waiting for, I think it was a it was a Cliff Richard concert or something like that, and it kind of struck me for one one of the first times probably back then that, you know, actually the, you know these these guys you know are into it in just as big a way as as we are, and maybe for them it is as special. It's not wasn't anything that meant uh, meant much to me uh, personally, but uh, I recognized and respected the, the devotion and dedication that was going on. What I've always felt is is different is that, um, regardless of how uh, strong the feeling is amongst the fans, what I never cease to be amazed by and, and and respect is what seems like the response coming from Bruce and his his band and people and the people people around him. I've always had a sense that, that there's a genuine interest and you know even care and concern. In most cases that I've had um, over the years, where it feels like, yeah, that they're, they're as, um, uh, as as sort of aware of, of us as we are of them, and I don't know if that's something you've heard from others as well. Well, you know, when we talked last time, I was so impressed that you. Um, spoilers, if you haven't heard the episode, uh, <laughs> he. Um, you know, Dan was in the sound check and he watched the band on stage play as Bruce went all over the uh, venue to hear how the sound went. And, That's right. you know, and 
um, you'd always I'd always heard that rumor, but you actually saw that. Um, yes. You know, and you're like, and and I was impressed to hear that he actually did that, and um, I also think you know I read that he and I, I assume um, his manager um, checked out multiple venues for this Broadway, and he wanted to make sure that one, it was a small, intimate venue but also that there was not a bad seat that people could see and hear everywhere and he talked about that in the new york times interview so i i I think that's pretty cool that someone of his stature still seems to care about um his fans and hearing them that's right because you know it could so easily have been the case that he they were thinking Right. What What's the maximum kind of size of venue that we can get away with? And, yes. And you know, seeking to uh, just you know take the most advantage of, of the um, the arrangement. But uh, but no, that that's a good example. That it, again, so all these years later, he still seems to have the same approach. I could totally imagine him spending an hour or more going around the theatre, as you say, you know, checking the, the sound and the vision from everywhere and just making sure that, yeah, really important to him that it's going to be a good experience. Yeah, and like the other thing, and I've asked this a lot during the River Tour, he seems, and and I don't know if we can ever answer this, um, so I'll get your opinion. Is he interacting more with the fans, like signing the kids um, excuse, you know, Bruce Springsteen says I can be late for school or having the different people come up on stage, not only with dancing in the dark, but, um, you know, having, you know, Matthew come up and did working, um, you know, did no surrender and, uh, other people playing songs with him, you know, does he do that more now or is it because of social media we see it more? Um, what's your opinion? That's another good question, and I, and I think it, it, it there's there's different aspects to it. I mean, one is obviously that the scale of his audience has, has changed dramatically, you know, over the years, and just in my experience, so that you know this probably wouldn't have happened so much, and it wouldn't have been so obvious in the early days. Um, I mean, I often tell people that, you know, my one of the things that amazed me about the, the time when I was first going to the shows in 1980-81 was how few other fans seemed to be hanging around, you know, even sort of though it was, you know, quite obvious and quite easy to, to do so. In fact, if anything, there was almost zero security in those those days during a tour. You know, I can p- picture something like maybe four other fans literally hanging around on the street in, in Frankfurt, for example, in, in 1981. But... As you say now, social media and you know just the, the scale of Bruce's audience growing over the years, especially since born in the USA, which as we know changed everything, and the reunion tour and the, everything has gone sort of seems to be sort of constantly on the increase. And I keep meeting new fans. There's a new generation very much just since the reunion tour, and it, it just in fact even just since. The last 10 years or so, you think, since we lost um, Danny and Clarence very recently, um, I, I really get the sense that 
he's so much more relaxed about the way he 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 can be, uh, you know, as an artist with his audience. He used to have this real reputation for being um, quite a, a control freak and a perfectionist. You know, we've heard the stories about the endless hours and, and, and you know weeks and months even in the studio, are reflecting that. And then, I think you know, as obviously maybe it's just partly with age, he's mellowed. You know, his sort of family has become his priority, and so yeah, he can afford to relax and um, have a bit of fun if things screw up. You know, it doesn't matter. But also, he is open to this whole new generation. When you think also that, I think it's quite significant, people take it for granted that he plays a lot of festivals, for example. And yet that's a very recent phenomenon. That's something that they resisted for a long, long time, probably since around the time of the mid-70s and the lawsuit. It's really only probably since um, around the time of working on a dream that he started uh, embracing the whole festival culture, and that just really opens up your audience. Um, so I think he, this is what's so exciting about being a Springsteen fan now, is that I really kind of get the feeling that he's open to anything. I, I do too, and I think that's a great point. Um, you hear stories he was, you know, early and not like in the 70s, I mean, like even in the 90s or 2000s, um, unhappy, like, uh, I don't want these signs, you know. And now then That's he's right. embraced the signs. You know, he loves that people are doing that. And, you know, depending, like with The River, he had a much more um, stable set list because they were playing the whole CD, you know, the whole album. And so, and then he had kind of a set thing, what he was going to do, afterward you know afterwards but when he went over to europe and other places you know he did get the signs and there was that point on um like on wrecking ball tour and the high hopes like he'd stop and go okay what do we got here and <laughs> you know sometimes like a really good magician the song was going to be on the set list anyway but he picked the sign because it looked like he's doing something for someone else you know yes. uh and so I think that's really cool. The other thing is um, Dave Marsh has told the story that for a long time he was not happy with bootlegs. Yes. And then when they started E Street Radio, um, what can we play? And supposedly he said, whatever you can find. <laughs> you know, and you think about it, they play um, – it's easier now because there are the official concert releases. So for them yep. to play a, a live show. But there were times when they were playing just shows that had been bootlegged, you know, and they cleaned mm. up the sound enough to play it. So I think that's a really good point. He's mellowed with age. I also wonder if he has this, what do I have to prove you know, mentality like, yes. you know, I, I've kind of um, I've done everything a, you know, a magician, a, a musician could want to do. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, so maybe I can just relax and enjoy the show. I also think you have a very good point. I felt this when I was watching The River that everyone on stage knew I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to do this together. 
The right. road in front of us is shorter than the road behind us. Mm. So um, maybe I should relax and enjoy this. You know, maybe I need to understand that, um, and not to get too spiritual, but right, but like we are not promised anything in the future. And so enjoying the right here and now, which is what I believe Better Days is about, um, is something that's very important to him. Yes, it, it's it's uh, kind of like a, a, a two-sided thing, isn't it? Because, as you say, there, there's been a relaxation and an awareness that you know he has, doesn't really have anything to prove. And I, I totally agree and support that. But at the same time, there's also um, very much a sense of time's catching up. And so let's make the most of the time we have. So it's it, there's sort of two things going on there, but I think they work together. I, absolutely. So I have been, um, and by the way, I went down to Austin a few years ago. Um, there is a Austin Doctor Who fan club. And they were going to have an event at a, um, a British uh, restaurant, British-themed restaurant, uh, where they actually had, um, you know, the fried bread, and they had um, the HP sauce, and they had a traditional <laughs> English breakfast. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And they showed um, the episode, showed it was a um, second half of a, like they had taken a break and this was the season premiere of one of Matt Smith's episodes. And so Lynn and I went down just mostly for an excuse. And it was the people who ran the fan group came over and talked to Lynn and I, and they were very friendly, but most everyone else kind of stayed in their own lane. And I was thinking of when, I, uh, when Bruce was playing here in Dallas, we, the House of Blues is only like two blocks away. And so we met there to have, and I knew no one. I just said, hey, I'm going to be at the House of Blues. If anyone wants to come by, we'll kind of record some things and just talk. And like eight or nine people showed up and were like, hey, are you Jesse? And we talked and visited. And as other people came by, Bruce fans, all of them stopped, sat for a minute, and there is a sense of fellowship and friendship that I did not see like at this Doctor Who thing. Mm -hmm. So um, I also think, um, you know, I go to science fiction conventions, and most of them are pretty, everyone stays in their own lane. Now, Dragon Con, which is the one I went in Labor Day in Atlanta, very different. And in Dragon Con, mostly because it's so big and it's over like seven or eight hotels all in downtown Atlanta, part of the joy is when you're in line to go, go to an event, everyone talks to each other. You know, they're like, so right. kind of like queuing for a show. Oh, how many times have you been to Dragon Con? Oh, what, what, what do you like seeing? What do you do? And you visit. So... I don't know about other musicians groups, but I know the other fandoms I'm involved with um, much more inclusive in the Springsteen fandom than in other fandoms I'm part of. Well, that would reinforce what I've heard from you know various uh, friends who say that there's really nothing quite like 
the uh, the, um, the Springsteen community in in that sense. I mean, there's obviously, as I say, you know, huge, really sort of strong and developed communities for all kinds of bands. You know, whether it might be you know, U two or the Stones or whatever, all kinds of networks and um, on every kind of level you can imagine. But the, as I say, the 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 focusing on the actual sense of the community, in as much as these are people that would go out of their way to do something really generous for, for somebody else um, that kind of level of, of, of thing and that's what's led to the friendships and the love um, amongst uh, people I know which I certainly haven't found anywhere else and, and that endures to this day and I still find it extraordinary and, and give thanks for it yeah um, so I will I'm going to ask you a couple stories but I'll start out with my first true story this was before i'd done the podcast uh, but um i had gotten permission from my uh lovely bride like yes you can go to nashville to see him you know <laughs> um so i had a um i drove to nashville and um donna with bruce funds had said we're going to be at this restaurant um, is, uh, you know, let's meet. And so we met and it was, um, I was telling my wife as I was, you know, I called her and I said, Hey, she goes, what are you doing? This is the night before the show. And I said, Oh, um, there's a bunch of Bruce fans from the, I've met online. They're all going to meet for dinner. And she's like, you're going to meet people you don't know. I'm like, yeah. I said, you know, they're Bruce fans. Aren't you worried? I said, well, I think they're all women. Shouldn't they be worried about this, you know, this guy from Texas coming to meet them? <laughs> and uh, so then she made the joke about, oh, so you're going to dinner with a bunch of women. I go, yes. I said, but you can trust me. We're all Bruce fans. And uh, I did. We got a picture. And it was, it was like we'd known each other forever. Mm. And... Uh, it was just comfortable. It was fun. We were laughing. We're joking. And I find that at least in person, the percentage of people that are jerks are very, very tiny. Yes. Now, I, I cannot say that about Star Trek fandom. I cannot say that about Doctor Who fandom. Uh, <laughs> but, I you know, comic book fandom. But for Bruce, it seems most people are you know kind of a little bit um decent i think that that's really um something that yeah might, might distinguish the, the the bruce community from others i mean and that's that's certainly my, my experience i mean in the last seven years or so i've been doing a lot of facebook groups and so i've been much more involved um in, in, in social media, obviously, with uh, people than I w would have done previously, even though I had a, lo a lot of uh, people who bought my fanzine back in the 80s and that kind of thing. It's a whole different scale online nowadays. And I'm very glad to say that, you know, that, you know obviously, occasionally in social media, you have uh, run-ins with people. Um, I probably only had to, 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 to block or whatever um, a very small handful of people in what must be about seven years or something now. So my experience has been, you know, easily 99% or more positive. 
Yeah, I've only had to block one person, um, and I know he came with it with love, but every time I post that I was at a chemo, um, this fan who was a, a militant vegetarian would mm-hmm. send me just tons of data about, you know, don't trust your doctors, you should change your diet, and just this rant. And, you know, I asked him a couple of times, like, look, you know, I appreciate, I know you're coming from a place of love, but, you know, I'm here getting chemo, you know, you're attacking the chemo guy. And he, he right. you know, and he truly was like, are you going to follow my advice or not? <laughs> and I was like, I, you know, and so I ended up having to block him because he would, you know, and, but that is the very exception, you know, um, it has been wonderful seeing the amount of love and um, nice information I've gotten to talk to people about. So I'm, when you went to see Bruce the first time in Germany, you had met a, um, a pen pal, a long distance fan. Was that the earliest you met someone from this? Um, and it wasn't even online back then. This, you know, this uh, long distance uh, fandom. <laughs> uh, well, that's right. It it, it was uh, a very different world. We have to sort of uh, um, remember that we're talking about uh, uh, an environment where you know socially, you know, the only way you could get in touch with people was. Um, through through letter or by phone or obviously just by personal contact and that was really a challenge to uh, to to make that happen. I mean, in terms of a, a brief timeline, I first discovered Bruce thanks to a college friend in 1976. So there was this one guy, basically, that, um, possibly one or two of his friends, but basically my my friend uh, f- until for about four years, perhaps until I decided that, that I was desperate to find other fans, and so that's when I started my own fanzine. And then that sort of began to um, generate uh, pen pals, yes, initially. Um, nobody actually met, I think, until 1980, when I, 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 the fanzine had been going for a little while, and somebody who bought, bought a copy uh, in London, uh, close to where I was living, basically said, um, would you like to meet up? You know, you, you're welcome to come around and um, let's, let's hang out, talk about Bruce. And uh, this is exactly what I was hoping would happen. And so I met this guy called John. Uh, sadly, I've lost touch with since. I don't know where he is. John Makurski from um, uh, in Earl's Court in London. And I shall never forget the day I walked around to his place. And I thought I was, you know, quite a sort of savvy fan at the time, 1980. I had a, um, maybe something like four, you know, bootleg cassette tapes. And I brought them along to kind of show them off to this guy. <laughs> so I sat down with him in his little little room and um he offered me a cup of tea and then he proceeded to put 30 vinyl bootleg albums in my lap wow and this just blew my mind <laughs> i had no idea that this world existed you know i'd, I'd heard you know, about a couple of bootlegs here and there but i mean the fact that one guy could have this sort of extraordinary aladdin's cave or treasure trove you know uh, right there and of course it's like where do I start? I want to listen to everything now. <laughs> yeah. So that was a huge turning point. So it, it took a long time to meet someone like that. But uh, at the same time, I was very lucky because I uh, very quickly made 
similar pen pals who were able to help me out with uh, not just um, getting copies of my, my fanzine and helping me basically sort of help, help, helping me survive because I was out of work at the time and it was a real bonus to actually sell a few copies here and there. But also people who had wonderful information to share, stories and contacts and um, my first, probably my first friend from uh, from the States, which was very exciting. It's a lovely lady, Holly Cara Price, who I'm still in touch with today and anybody who knows me knows her. Um, doing what I can to support her. She has her own cancer fight going on right now. Yes. And uh, we're doing our best for Holly. And her story, I could, we could spend, I could spend a whole hour or more talking about that, but that, that's another, maybe for another time. Yes. And wonderful friends within um, the UK, my friend Neil in Scotland, uh, again, is still a great, great friend. The, um, the legendary Chris Hunt, that some people will, remember the name because he was a co-author of what ended up being the very first um, Springsteen book done by uh, UK authors, Blinded by the Light, in the mid-80s. I had the privilege to get to know him as a friend um, early on. And other guys who did fanzines. One of the reasons I started my fanzine was um, because there was a guy called Gary Desmond up in Liverpool who had uh, announced through... Uh, small ads in the music press that he was going to do a fanzine. And I got really excited. I got in touch and I said, yes, anything I can do to help keep me posted. You know, I really want to be involved in this. Deafening silence for months. And that's very much what spurred me to do my own thing. And then, of course, what happened was he suddenly came out with his fanzine, which was called Candy's Room, the very first UK fanzine. Literally just a few weeks before I did mine, but that was fine because we very quickly realized there's definitely enough of an interest and there's plenty of room for multiple fanzines and, if, and it ended up being five I think it was the maximum at any one time probably in the mid 80s during the Born in the USA boom so very quickly there's this massive expansion of pen pals who became personal friends um, during the early 80s and um, but the experience with, with Rena in Germany and the first year in Frankfurt that's um, Again, sadly, someone I've lost touch with, and even though, despite you know social media, been unable to, to, to find her since. Um, but I'm very lucky that so many people from those days uh, are still in touch. Yeah, uh, that is nice. Um, you know, I have been able to meet the guys who do um, JB and Rob, Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, uh, we met before the Dallas show, got to talk a little bit. You know, we visit a lot via email. Uh, a couple of the other Springsteen podcasts, we we visit every once in a while. They've been on the show a couple of times, but not as much as these two guys. These two guys seem to embrace us the most. Like, you know, we're, we do very different podcasts, and we both kind of promote each other a lot. Um, mm. You know, I, I've... I met Donna in Nashville and was just such a lovely person. Um, she is. I, I, and I think that's another great example. Um, I think they just did, was it, uh, Vanity Fair had a list of Bruce Springsteen um, charities, right? Yeah. And uh, so they talked about Donna. They talked about the Hungry Hearts book. Uh, they talked about... Um, the Bruce book, uh, say, you know, for trying to get money 
to help fund, um, you know, one of the food banks. But I think there's just something really special about Bruce Funds. And oh yes, there we had a um, Mark Holtz was a announcer uh, for the baseball team, the Texas Rangers mm-hmm. here in Dallas. And he died of cancer. And uh, right in, um, and then right afterwards, his uh, wife had died. And so his daughter started a fund. And they weren't trying to cure cancer. They weren't trying. All they did is they had families that were struggling with an illness. And they got them tickets to a baseball game. And they gave them enough money that they could buy, you know, some hot dogs and drinks. And they and I just love the idea. I can't you know, there's so much pain and so much negativity in the world. And I'm just going to make someone's life just a little bit better that they can go watch a baseball game and maybe forget about it for a couple of hours. And that's exactly what Bruce Funds does, right? It is, and and that's probably, as again, in my experience, unique amongst um, the various sort of fandoms and communities. I've never heard of anything like that happening anywhere else, other than I think it is unique, in, in as I say, in my my experience. And what I really, really love about it is that I think it's it's exactly the attitude that Bruce himself takes to his his audience and his his community, his people, because we are his community. Yes. And, and the idea of just, you know, we take care of our own. And I yes. we always joke about that song really isn't about us taking care of our own. <laughs> uh, but it is in our mind, you know, the idea you're helping your friend Holly. Uh, a lot of people gave me wonderful not only support but financial support during my time. Um, and so it's just lovely to see us kind of helping each other and doing what we can it is i mean that that's right when and, and that's something that i'm have no doubt about the fact that i've learned from bruce over the years you know this this right from the beginning this there's um i think the word that i would use uh if i had to try to pin it down um but it's such a big thing is is a kind of graciousness um which really struck me right from the start, like I say, from everybody I met around him, you know, the crew members the um, and other fans, really everyone involved is that, you know, pe- people really um, sort of treated you, treated you with respect, they treated you with generosity, there was um, just a wonderful relaxed feeling and a welcoming, a sense of welcoming. And for anybody who, who needed a community, and I desperately did, um, I just couldn't believe my luck that um, something like this uh, existed. And so it's very much in, informed and been sort of my background. And I'm, I'm very conscious very often that, you know, I'm, I'm in a privileged position. I'm lucky that, you know, I've got a, I've got a job, I've got a place to live, I've got a, uh, reasonably good health, and I'm in a position to, um, uh, to, to, to help my, my friends if I can uh, sometimes. So, you know, and it's just... If I ever can, I, I try to. Absolutely. Um, so 
not to put you on the spot, but do you have a couple of stories you want to share of either, you know, funny things meeting people or something that you were just, you know, you were just so surprised about or just any stories you want to share about, you know, going to meet people and seeing what's happening? Well, maybe one of the best stories, and it's again, it's probably deserving of a of, of a, a sort of a longer story sometime. But there is there is a link which um, we can share, which uh, will give people the, the the full story. Something that we talked about, you know, probably one of our sort of top stories over the years. For again, sort of a, bit, a bit later on, after my original experience, we're talking 1985, when uh, obviously everything kicked off and. Um, with Born in the USA and the, the first stadium tour of Europe. And it all began for us over here in Europe with um, a show at Slane Castle in Ireland, near Dublin. And this was uh, a huge deal because, it, uh, as far as I remember anyway, it was announced before the, um, the rest of the, the UK dates. And so from, from most of us, we thought, um, the, the few of us that were already in touch at that time, Hey, let's get together and organise a trip to Ireland because it's just over the over the water. It's just really easy to get to Dublin. So, uh, again, bearing in mind that we did this before the internet and before any kind of social media. But one of my great friends, Jim, who I um, from Liverpool, who I'd met a couple of years before that, uh, was very instrumental in, in, in this. And as much as he um helped to organize this we were doing this all by phone and by letter as i was saying he basically took out some savings uh, he organized hiring uh, a minibus and arranging another another car so that we would have transport he booked uh, a ferry because that was how you had to, to travel in those days um to get us all we're, we're talking about maybe 16 people or something like that um to get us all to go to to slain and it was probably one of my, my first, I think maybe my second visit to Ireland and um, just such, such a wonderful experience. Um, I've got many, many Irish friends and love Ireland deeply. And, uh, but at the same time, we had to sort of, you have to bear in mind that in a very fond way, Ireland is often the source of a lot of jokes uh, <laughs> amongst the English and uh, right. or probably bet between the Irish as well. And, um, one of the wonderful things about this trip was that it felt like, you know, you're sort of arriving in a place where jokes are coming true around you <laughs> in so many ways, because there were these just sort of so many bizarre experiences for us. I mean, the whole concert experience itself was, was quite something in as much as, you know, we arrived, we basically had no idea what to expect. Um, and this was a huge, absolutely massive outdoor show in the grounds of a castle beautiful beautiful setting wonderful weather as well with uh, um, uh, a river winding behind the stage and people actually climbing trees to see the show and this kind of thing and the castle itself up on the hill where the vips were so it was an absolutely extraordinary setting but it seemed like every step of the way um we had this uh, adventure with um so many uh, bizarre and funny stories there was, um, we, we stayed at a little guest house once we'd arrived in, uh, in, in nearby in Dublin. And there was a very eccentric landlady of the guest house who managed to keep losing count of us. And um, uh, so every morning, you know, uh, 
for the few days we were there, she would seem totally surprised when we would all emerge from uh, from the rooms and um, she, she'd say, oh, okay, there's more of you than I thought. I'll just make some extra breakfast. No problem, you know, <laughs> and, and just sort of took everything in her stride. The best thing she came out with at one, one point as we were going off to see the show was she basically said, enjoy the match. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought, okay, you know, <laughs> have a nice day. That's funny. And it was, um, let's just say, just one, one of many examples. I remember driving to the, um, the show, which was out of town, and this, we had, again, we had no idea what to expect, so we were arriving really early in the morning to give ourselves plenty of time, and there's a mist rising. And basically, because this, the, the, you know, something like maybe, I don't know how many thousand, up to 70 or 80,000 fans had taken over this little rural village near, near, near Dublin, um, they were totally unprepared, as you can imagine, for this in, invasion. But many of the, the bars and, and pubs and places just stayed open all night and just, you know, really sort of making the most of the of the, um, the commercial opportunity so come the morning as we're sort of driving through this mist there's you, we we have this vision of a whole range of, of people sort of, uh, who look like zombies sort of staggering at us out of the mist because they've been up all night drinking <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and partying this is before the show and we're thinking my god you know most of these people are just not going to be able to stand up when the show starts you know how are they going to cope it was totally out of control in that sense. It was uh, there was no almost no security again. It was there were people breaking down fences. It was a the actual experience. The the, the downside of that was that of the show itself was that we um, spent a huge part of the actual show um, struggling to stay upright because there was just this huge surge of the crowd pushing backwards and forwards. Uh, you know they they hadn't really thought through the whole logistics of organizing a stadium show or a big outdoor field show at that point so you know it could have actually been very dangerous and miraculous i, I don't think anybody was really badly hurt but i'm sure it was um, it was touch and go in many cases one example we always remember is that a friend of ours who was right down the front most of us retreated to the um a, f- a bit further back and it was just as well uh, this friend ended up when we met him eventually after the show um, he t- we turned him around, and there, there was a footprint on the in mud on the back of his shirt, <laughs> as if he'd been trampled somehow. Luckily, he he survived that. Wow. We found bizarre, b- bizarre things in in the sort of the um, the wreckage, if you like. Afterwards, there was there was a part of a a phone dial back in the days when telephones had dials. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine told this wonderful. Um, uh, he sort of had this 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 image. He said, "Imagine if there had been like a phone booth in the middle of the, the field, and somebody's making a call to their, <laughs> their wife, their, their wife, and they said, oh, it's a beautiful day, and Bruce is just about to come on.' And ah, you know, as they sort of like stampede of people come charging, and, and the whole phone booth is is wrecked to pieces. Who knows? Maybe that's what happened. <laughs> it certainly felt like it could have happened. Or um, in my mind, uh, the doctor's TARDIS." Because oh, it, yes. it, 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 and so, and uh, someone was getting there, and they had to transport out, uh, and that's the the dial phone was left. That is awesome. Uh, that, that, that's that, right. Yeah, that is great. Um, just curious, what's the furthest you've traveled to see a show? Australia. Australia. Yep, that's the easy answer, and only um, just uh, this last year. That was um, yeah, the the most recent. Um, 
uh, band shows that that, that uh, Bruce was doing back in in February, and I kind of it's funny because I kind of resisted the idea um, in a way because I thought oh, it, it's so far and it's going to cost so much and I have to arrange extra time off work and this kind of thing, but I had less than very persistent friends. Um, there's a guy um, uh, called Graham, especially bless you, Graham in uh, living near Sydney, who kept getting in touch every now and then once the, the, the shows had been announced. And he said, oh, I've got a ticket for you if you can come over. And I said, oh, thanks very much. And, and he'd get in touch again. I said, oh, I've got a couple of tickets for you if you can come over. And eventually, after sort of this feeble resistance for a little while, he said, look, look, I've got four tickets. I've got somewhere you can stay. I've got, I'll arrange, you know, transport. You know, <laughs> I'll basically look after you. You just have to get over here. And I just thought, well, I, this is just meant to be. I yeah, well, exactly. Who, who am I kidding? I know I want to go. I've right. never been to Australia. First time in Australia. And I just had a wonderful time. I ended up seeing five shows, um, including the legendary Hanging Rock. And i um, so glad I went. Yeah, very lucky. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Well, um, so I'm going to – we're going to pin that. And I think next time I have you on, we'll do um, – Dan goes on on – down under and we'll talk about <laughs> the experience and kind of talk about the shows and the feelings, the experiences. I, I used to work for a company where, um, you know, our CEO, um, was a good man. He made a lot of money, but he was kind of a workaholic. And, and I said, you know, if I had his money, I would be going, I'd be seeing every Bruce show I could. And like, I would like, okay, you know, if Bruce is touring Australia for a couple of weeks, I'm flying down and I'm just going to every show I can find. So it sounds like you had quite an adventure. So I look forward to talking a little bit about that. Um, sure. That is one of my, I, I would love to go to Australia or New Zealand and, and just, just for the, the beautiful scenery um, Ireland is another place my wife and I want to go. So if you can throw in seeing beautiful scenery and wonderful culture and people and a Bruce show, there's nothing better. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, that is, that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I have a, uh, just briefly to say, sure. I, I have a kind of, kind of motto that I share with a few friends. And I think especially this is for my friend, John Nolan in Ireland. Um, who's been through some similar things to me. And one of the things we just keep coming back to is like a little mantra. There's three words, friends, music, travel. Yes. And I, I think that's what we, that's, that's what we live by. Absolutely. You know, one of our favorite places um, is um, Kentucky and the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Um, you know, there is um, so many distilleries that make bourbon in Kentucky and they now have an organized tour where um, they give you a little passport. And then if you go to each distillery, they stamp your passport. And then at the end, you send it in. And they send you a free T-shirt. Um, and each tour is unique. Uh, you would think that it would get boring, but it's not because everyone does a little bit of different. You know, making bourbon is a science and an art, but each of tour is a little bit different. And the first time we went to the Kentucky Bourbon Trail was we were on our way to Cleveland to see um, my third show and her second show. So we always call it our Bruce and Bourbon Tour. And so 
in her mind, you know, Bruce and Bourbon are all connected together. So I guess we could try to see Bruce and try to do some Irish whiskey tours or go to Scotland <laughs> and do Scott, uh, Scotch tours and uh, kind of enjoy that. So awesome. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I really hope you get that chance. Absolutely. Uh, now, um, I take it you did not get tickets for New York or did you even try because of the cost? I got very lucky. Uh, originally, I was shut out, like uh, obviously most people. Yeah. And then, thanks to um, my friend who I was just talking about, from uh, Jim from Liverpool, who organised the um, that, that Ireland trip way back. Yeah. He 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 got lucky, and he phoned me up, and he just said, "Dan, pack your bags. We're going to Broadway." Nice. So, so I am thanks to this wonderful community that we've been talking about. I wouldn't have managed it otherwise. I am going, yes, in January. Oh, nice. So you'll get mm. to see it. So I know you're excited. Yeah. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's great. I know a few people complained, and, and I know that is, I say this with love in my heart, I think it is truly the Aesop fable, sour grapes. Um, yep. But, you know, people, there is now, they're doing a daily lottery where there's a certain amount of tickets available for $75. However... Um, you can only do it a couple of days in advance, and you it is truly for local fans. There's no one like yes. myself from Dallas. Um, though I did think about it, okay, it's about a 24-hour drive. If me and my buddy <laughs> Sam got in the car and we Ooh. just, you know, we just limited our, you know, maybe got some Gatorade bottles to, to do some of our bathroom breaks and just pushed it. Uh, and Sam looked at me like, all right, if we get tickets, we'll figure out how to do a road trip there. He says, though, I think we will end up flying. I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. So, well, I'm excited for you, Dan. I definitely will have you back on Thank after you. you see the show to talk about that. Um, Dan, if someone sure. wants to find you, how can they? Okay, so the, the best ways to get hold of me, um, okay, on social media, on Twitter, just look for Wild and In, short for Wild and Innocent. Um, or just, just my own name, Dan French, on Facebook. And you can also find the various Facebook groups I run, which include uh, the Point Blank group. There's uh, one all about Stevie called the Stevie Files. There's one about uh, request signs for Bruce called Springsteen Signs. And there's also uh, a club for people who want to share ticket stubs. So a lot of, lots of stuff on, on Facebook. And also... Um, there is a Google site, which is kind of like my web my website, fairly basic. Just search for Wild and Innocent Productions, and there's all kinds of stuff there. That is awesome. I can be reached at Jesse Jackson DFW. Uh, we just recently changed our Facebook page and to Set Lusting Bruce, a Bruce Springsteen podcast, and I've changed the name on iTunes, Set Lusting Bruce, a Bruce Springsteen podcast, so that people will be able to find us a little bit easier. If um, if you have not gone to iTunes, rate and review us, please do. If you um, if you are one of my um, out of the USA listeners, it's okay. Your review will show up on your own country's iTunes, but I get an email from a service that shows me those reviews, so that's okay. You help me no matter what. Um, and uh, we have uh, just we appreciate all the love and support. And uh, I appreciate it. Um, we have, uh, you know, this is always a joy, Dan. I, I love visiting with you. Um, I, I'm now 
I'm now trying to figure out a way that we can get Bruce touring again, and he's going to come to Dallas so I can convince you. Uh, Linda and I will feed you. We will clothe you. you know, we will keep you <laughs> a roof over your head, and we can just enjoy a, a visit there. So, um, Well, Jesse, I, I would come even without a Bruce show. Oh, so thank that's you for very the invitation. nice. Well, thank yeah. you, guys. All right. Well, Dan, uh, we'll do this again in about a month. Um, Look forward to it. Yeah. Uh, I just think you, you are a great storyteller and a wonderful – um, a wonderful Bruce historian. Um, I always joke that Stan is the Bruce historian. His tour is amazing, but oh, you have is. been so much involved in so much fandom. Um, I just love hearing your story. So thank you for sharing and thank you for being part of this podcast. And with that, we will tell everyone have a wonderful uh, night and we'll talk to you soon. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.